Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship. This week's message is provided by our special guest, Pastor David Harris. This is the third week now that I've had the privilege of hanging out with you all. And we're in a brief series called No Perfect People Allowed. And before we jump too far into that, let me say thank you. Thank you for the privilege of coming and allowing me to open my heart in God's word as we explore these things together. Thank you for the privilege of sharing with you and serving this church while your pastor gets some much needed wealth and uh, recuperation with his soul and his heart and his, his family and his, his energy. And um, thank you for being so gracious to me, for being so accepting and for being so friendly. And uh, maybe if God blesses and I didn't screw up too bad, Ken, let me come back sometime and um, hang out with you all. When I was a little kid growing Growing up in Ohio, we lived out in the hillside, and we had a garden literally the size of a football field. And we would go out every spring, and my dad would get the rototiller, and my grandfather would get the tractor, and we'd till up all the soil and, and get all the weeds and the stuff that had died off over, over the winter time, and, and get that all mixed into the soil and clear out the rocks and all the bad uh, the, the things that would just cause destruction there in the garden. And then there would come the time, and we would start um, getting... Uh, organic fertilizer down into the garden because we didn't have miracle grow back then and um, we had to use the natural stuff and we'd get that in there and we'd get that all tilled in there and, and then there come the time when we would dig the rows and we would plant the tomatoes and the corn and the watermelon and the green beans and the radishes and the carrots and all these other things that I, this day I still don't eat and, um, <laughs> and then we would water it all and then twice a week, my sisters and I would go down there and we would pull the weeds because we didn't want the knee, weeds taking the nutrients. And uh, we'd put water in and case, occasionally in certain areas, depending on the season, we'd put some more fertilizer back down into the soil. Because our job was to give those plants that we put in the ground the best possible soil with the healthiest possible nutrients that they needed for growth. And as an adult, I'd buy a new house and I'm going to put the right kind of lime and different things on the grass and I'm going to put fertilizer around whatever plants or flowers or vegetation that I need to help decorate and landscape my yard and around my house and even some of the inside plants. Because again, my job is to provide the healthiest possible soil with the best possible nutrients for those plants to grow to be the best possible plants they can be. Because one thing I'm readily aware of, I cannot grow a tomato. Only a tomato plant can grow a tomato. I cannot grow an ear of corn. Only a corn stalk, corn stalk can grow an ear of corn. I cannot grow flowers and sunflowers and carrots and potatoes. Only they can grow themselves. All I can do is control the culture, develop the environment, put the right atmosphere, give them healthy nutrients, healthy soil, so that they can produce the best versions of themselves they can possibly become. And so I got to thinking, when you think about church... And we think about people who come in. If we want to provide nutrient-rich soil, if you will, for people to grow into the best possible versions of themselves that God has intended them to become, what kinds of things do we have to put in that soil? Well, we came together a couple of weeks ago, and we said, come as you are. And that message was all about... Anybody here that week? Am I the only one? What was that message about? Yeah, I didn't ask you to spell it. Just quote it. Yeah. Because for us to have healthy soil, for you and me and this entire community, if they were to choose to come to Northgate and become a part of it, one of the nutrients in that soil has to be grace. People get turned off when they get fingers pointed at them and they get judged and they get condemned. Grace has to go into that soil, right? 
Then last week we said there's another nutrient that has to go into that soil. That there has to be some authenticity that goes into that soil. That when people come and people experience grace, maybe for the first time in their lives, they understand that they're free to take their masks off. That this soil has rich nutrients of authenticity that leads to transparency. So that they begin to unburden themselves in the right climate. And it's nutrient-rich soil for them to grow to another level. Well, today, as we say, okay, come as you are today, we're saying, but don't stay that way. One of the nutrients that has to be in healthy soil for people to spiritually grow to the best possible versions of themselves is intentionality. See, you don't just accidentally drift into becoming a spiritually healthy person. You have to be intentional. There are some things you have to do. There are some things you have to build into your life. Because deep down inside, every single one of us, no matter where we are on the spiritual spectrum, every single one of us understands that we're not yet what we were intended to be. See, God intended us to be selfless. God intended us to be loving. God intended us to live lives of peace. God intended us to be people of patience, though I wish he hadn't. God intended for us to um, have self-control, and yet far too often our lives seem out of control. And our lives seem out of control, and we find ourselves being more marked by fear and jealousy and lust and worry, and stress, and you guys start a new series about stress next week, then we are about self-control, and love, and grace, and patience. Fact of the matter is, you and I would often like to feel closer to God than we really do. We'd like to feel better about life. We'd be, like to be more life-giving because we understand somehow innately that in this life we were meant for more than what we're settling for. That's why I say, come as you are. But don't stay that way. I heard somebody say recently, people are a lot like diapers. They need changing often and for the same reason. (laughs) I didn't say it. You just thought it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Take a deep breath and relax. I want you to repeat these words after me. God loves me so much. He loves me the way I am. Okay, now take that for just a minute. Chew on it. Absorb it. Allow it to reach deep into the recesses of your soul. Allow yourself to fully grasp the understanding that there's nothing you could do to make God love you more and there's nothing you could do to make God love you less. He loves you just the way you are. Can now look back at me. Let's finish the second half of that statement. First half says, God loves me so much. He loves me the way I am. Now repeat after me. And God loves me too much to leave me that way. God loves me so much. He loves me the way I am. Yet God loves me too much to leave me that way. And that's why God gives us grace. God doesn't give us grace to just kind of like smooth over our wrongs. It's not like God sitting up in heaven, sipping a latte this morning, looking down on Northgate and going, well, shucks, you know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. God doesn't give us grace in spite of ourselves. God gives us grace in light of ourselves. 
Because grace is meant to shine on the things in lives that we know that we've messed up and understand that God loves us so much that that doesn't affect how much he loves us and how much he wants to do for us. And yet it gives us an innate understanding that we're still meant for more. That's what grace really is. And so lots of people in this world today like this come-as-you-are message. They like this message of grace. And yet many of them, and maybe there are a few in this room, don't like it when we start talking about in light of grace, we're meant to grow, that we're meant to change. And so they don't enjoy the expectations that are placed upon them. We like the message, but we miss the intent. And the writer of Hebrews was talking about this in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the writer is saying is that one of the ways that we give and receive grace in such a way that we produce nutrient-rich soil so that all of us can grow into the healthy spiritual people that God intended for us to become is by gathering together in fellowships like this. And in American culture, we call that church. Now... I've been blessed to serve as a pastor for many years. For the past few years, I've been blessed to travel this country and quite a bit of the planet, actually. And then one of the things I've come to understand every time I've been on foreign soil and I come back to the United States is somehow in the familiarity of what we call church, and in many cases what we settle for as a facsimile of what God intended church to be, we have a a tendency to be too casual about this. See, God wired us up to live in community and to share and to grow and to worship and to nurture and to create culture and atmosphere and soil together. And then this writer says, and what you're doing is you're encouraging one another in love and to greater things and to greater things. And he says something very key. He says, and do not give up the habit of assembling together. In what we call church. See, one of the greatest lies that many people in American Christianity have bought into straight from the lips of Satan is this. As long as you're in church on Sunday morning, it doesn't matter what church you're in. And that is a lie and it's damaging lives, it's damaging marriages, it's damaging communities, it's damaging the church of Jesus Christ on American soil. First of all, if you're a part of this church and this is where you feel you're supposed to be, when you're not here, people miss you. Secondly, too many people have bought into this, here a church, there a church, everywhere is your church mentality. You know, you come to Northgate because, hey, that series sounded pretty good. We kind of like that guy from Bayside and we'll stick around. And then, oh, hey, you know, my mom said they got a new pastor. I'm going to go hang out in their church down in Walnut Creek for a couple Sundays. Oh, my best friend got saved. He's been going to this other church over in Concord. I think I'm going to go over there for a couple weeks. Well, I got Labor Day weekend coming up and I'm going to take my kids up to Tahoe for a while. And it's been six or seven weeks and you've not been back here. And what happens in that? 
is you begin to drift because you're no longer involved in your, one of these community groups. You're no longer involved in fellowship where people know your name. And you're no longer involved in serving for a common cause. And this cyclical Christianity that we've gotten into the habit of doing here in the United States is not God's plan for His church. Find a church and commit yourself 100% to its teaching, to its service, to its vision, to its care, to its support, to its love, to its grace. Because it's not just about you. It's why we're called the body of Christ. If I lost my right arm this afternoon, do you think I'd miss it this time next week? You say, well, David, don't be an idiot. And apparently you don't know me very well. (laughs) Absolutely, I'd miss it. Well, what if you're meant to be the right arm of this church? Or the left foot? Or the liver? And you're not here. You're missed because there is something unique about you that God wants to utilize here in this place. Because something that you uniquely bring to the mix of nutrients in this soil, that if you're not contributing to it, other people can't grow to the full measure of Christ's likeness within them. You're missing out, and they're missing out, and the body of Christ is not as great as God intended it to be. Because we've listened to a lie of Satan, and we've bought into this American version of Christianity, and sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with what God has in mind. The point of all of that is to encourage you to make certain that you do whatever it takes to be a part of a body. This body, and if this body can't be that part, then find one next Sunday and commit to it. Where you can be involved in ongoing loving and encouraging and caring and sharing and serving. Because the fact of the matter is, folks, you don't just drift into that kind of personal Spiritual transformation. There are too many obstacles internally and externally going on in life. We have to deal with selfish attitudes. We have to deal with greed, tight-fistedness, past hurts, job demands, marital demands, demands from our kids, demands from our employer, demands on your time. Changing from where you are to where God wants you to be doesn't happen accidentally. Some of you may have slept through high school, but you didn't graduate accidentally. There came a point in time where you had to get serious and do this. When you went to get that mortgage for your house, you didn't just accidentally get a mortgage. You had to do A, B, and C, and you had to be very, very intentional about it. When you were caring for your children, when they were just infants and were 100% dependent upon you, they just didn't accidentally get their diaper changed. Somebody had to be intentional about it. And that's what God says to you and me. Spiritual growth happens not by accident, but by design. By intention. See, you and I have to be intentional and committed if we're going to meet in a community group every week for our benefit and the benefit of the other eight or ten people in that group with us. You and I have to be intentional with all the demands on our time and our schedule if we're going to nurture a daily relationship with God in prayer or devotional reading or Bible study. We have to be intentional. If we're going to attend worship weekly, we're going to have to be intentional in this economy. If we're going to be faithful in the paying and giving of our tithes every week. 
And when you take all of these things together, they then begin to work like fertilizer in the soil of your soul. And over time, you begin to grow into a healthier, stronger, more improved version of yourself. You get up and over the couple course of a week or so, you begin to realize, hey, I'm not as critical in my spirit towards other people as I used to be. I'm not as judgmental in my thinking about others and about life as I used to be. I'm more compassionate towards needing and hurting people than I used to be. Over a course of time, as you practice these things, you begin to realize that you're more generous with your time, with your money, with your resources. And it begins to hit you that you're no longer who or what you used to be, but that you are changing and you are changing for the better. God is growing you. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. Take a look at this. I planted the seed. This is Paul writing. And Apollos watered it. But my neighbor next door made it grow. Who made it grow? Just like I can't make tomatoes grow, I can only provide nutrient-rich soil for them to grow in. And I can't make corn grow and I can't make sunflowers grow. You and I can't make one another grow or anybody else who's thinking about becoming a part of this. All we can do is develop the soil and water it and then trust to make it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. That's God's way of saying, David, you ain't all that. Um, But only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. God's building. God's saying, hey, we all have a job to do. Some of us are going to plant. Some of us are going to water. And some of us are going to run the rototiller. And some of us are going to make sure that various nutrients get in there. We all have a job to do. But when it comes to how people grow in Christ, that job belongs to our Father. John talks about what that looks like in his gospel. John says, remain in me. Or he's quoting Christ here. As I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. There's that attachment, that connectedness to God through a local body. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus was literally saying there that John is quoting is it takes a connectedness and attachment to God for you and me to show fruit of God's spirit, for you and me to grow, for you and me to become healthier, better versions of ourselves. That's what God's calling us to. And when I look around at churches today, the issue really isn't church growth. The issue is more and more church health. Because the two are interrelated. Because healthy things grow naturally. Unhealthy things have a tendency to shrivel or cripple and deteriorate or to atrophy. So you put a plant in good soil and that soil is nurtured. You talk to some of your friends up in Napa who are venters. They have to do just certain things to make that soil just right and keep the atmosphere and the climate just right. But those things begin to grow naturally when, when the right things are done in the right ways. Good fruit is a natural byproduct of its environment. And in the same kind of way, good fruit in our lives is a natural byproduct of the kinds of people we are becoming in Christ because we're doing these things consistently and regularly. 
You say, well, David, I get most of that, but I don't buy this whole apart from Jesus, you can do nothing thing. I mean, David, I built a multi-million dollar business. Jesus didn't have anything to do with that. I've got a great marriage and a wonderful spouse, some great kids. Jesus didn't have anything to do with that. I've got some academic achievement. Jesus didn't have anything to do with that. And the most honest answer I can give you is this. You're right. Fact of the matter is, while it's risky, you don't need Jesus to have a good marriage. You don't need Jesus to build a multi-gazillion dollar business. You don't need Jesus to have academic achievement. You can do all those things on your own. But that's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying here is that apart from God's spirit, you cannot grow into the person that you were meant to be. You may accomplish many things. You may have all the money you need. You may have the most beautiful children on planet earth. But none of them are what God intended for you when he reached down at your conception and hand formed you and handcrafted you into image. Too many people get caught up in what they're supposed to be and we lose sight of what we're supposed to become. We're supposed to be married. We're supposed to be fathers. We're supposed to be wealthy. But you're supposed to become Christ-like. You're supposed to become givers. You're supposed to become patient. You're supposed to become selfless. Those are the kinds of things that Christ is calling to. And the fact of the matter is, all those other things that I walk through, as good and wonderful as they are, many times people in this life use those as replacements for what God intended within their lives because without Him there was always a void inside of each one of us that we're looking to fill with some other external peace in this world. But that's not what God had for us. God has a void in our lives that is meant for Him and Him alone. And what God is calling every one of us to do is to exchange all that we have for all that he has. And in him find sufficiency. That's why he says, come as you are, but don't stay that way. In the gospel of Mark, some real, real interesting words. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, God created us to do life with him. Starting right now. And to go through all of eternity. And that's what God's plan is. And so growth is really very simple. To grow, you stay connected. But the problem is, you and I don't grow naturally. And when we don't grow naturally, we get disconnected. See, it's kind of simple, but it's also unnatural. Because the human tendency is not to get better and better at these things and more Christ-like. The human tendency, when we allow any separation from God, is to drift away, to go on to default, to do the kinds of things that we said we weren't going to do when we accepted Christ into our lives. For the kind of changes and choices that we had made, we have a tendency to drift back. How many of you in here uh, lift weights, ride a bike, go cycling, do yoga, Pilates, something like that? Anybody? here? Great. You guys are a lot better than the first service. Um, (laughs) Just saying. Um, 
You know that if you lift weights or you cycle or you do Pilates, you go through a time where your muscles are getting conditioned and your body's getting conditioned. And then you find that you're not as sore anymore. And then you develop what people who uh, do those kinds of things call uh, muscle memory. And so what you have to do then is you can go off and you can do some other exercises, some other forms of uh, workout and fitness type things. And then when you go back to bench pressing or curling or whatever, first day or two, it's a little awkward, but then the muscle memory kicks in and you keep right on going. And so now you not only do those things that you do well, but you've also learned this stuff over here um, through different machines and different exercises, right? What's well, a lot like that in Christianity. As long as you continue reading your Bible or you exchange your Bible out for a few weeks to read a devotional book and then you pick your Bible back up again, as long as you stay in your community groups and as long as you keep um, your, your prayer life and your giving life and your serving life, you keep those aspects of life healthy, you continue to grow, grow and more connected. But have you noticed that anytime you step away from that for a week, 10 days, two weeks, you don't drift towards getting closer to God you drift towards getting further from God. And usually when you attempt to pick it back up, you begin to recognize some pain in your life. As you pick it back up, as you re-embrace the daily disciplines and those kinds of things, then spiritual muscle memory kind of kicks in, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. That's why you and I need spiritual practices. That's why God says, you know, I love you too much. I love you way too much to leave you as you like, like you used to be. Now, what are some of those practices? What are some of those soul-nourishing things, if you want to follow along in your outline there, that you and I need to do? Number one, you and I have to choose to expose ourselves to a personal moral inventory. A personal moral inventory. Psalm 139 says it like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. How many of y'all remember Chad? You know, Chad, Broward County, Gore Bushes versus Bush. There was hangling Chad and dangling Chad and broken Chad and dimpled Chad. And you've got that Broward County Board of Elections person holding Chad up, trying to decide which Chad it was. And he would hold it up to this real bright light. Do you remember seeing that on CNN? He'd hold it up to that real bright light trying to find out exactly which one had been punched. And sometimes when I read this passage in Psalms, I think of myself as Chad. And it's like, God, hold me up to the light of your holiness. And allow the brightness of your holiness to expose any flaw in me. Any imperfection. It's displeasing to you. And then I have a choice. Once God does that, and the good news and bad news is the same news, he always does that. You and I have a choice. We can give him permission to change it and make us more like him. Or you and I can choose to ignore it and drift the other way. Socrates once said, The unexamined life is not worth living. So what are the things that you're using to examine your life? What are the measurements? Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Imagine if you were to take each one of those and spend a day or a week and you were to do your Bible studies and your prayer time around that aspect of your life and you were to hold that up to the light of God's holiness and one day you dealt with love or one whole week in, in the scriptures and in devotional reading and the next week or the next day, however you choose to do that, you're dealing with self-control and you're dealing with joy. In fact, I know an awful lot of people who love God but they've lost joy long, long ago. Second thing you're going to have to have, you're going to have to have regular input and communication. Regular input and communication. Now, I talked about that spiritual workout a little bit ago. You do those kinds of workouts with weights and with cycling and kayaking and all those different things. Well, what's that look like in church? It's going to be, involve your community group. It's going to include quality devotional material. It, it's going to involve the types of bot podcasts you listen to, the types of uh, videos and DVDs that you watch. It's kind of like the water and fertilizer of your spirit. Because far too often our lives aren't marked by those things. What happens is, is we've gotten into some habits and that's number three. You're going to have to develop some habit breaking practices. Because what we do is we get certain habits in life and then without us even thinking about them, those habits we go through life on autopilot. Maybe you told a lie yesterday. It's not like you got up last Sunday morning and said, you know, by Saturday, I'm going to learn how to lie. And then I'm going to try it out. No, somewhere when you were 8 years old or 11 years old or whatever, you lied to a parent or to a sibling or a classmate and you got by with it. And so, week, two weeks, month later, you lied and got by with it again. And that became a pattern that became more frequent in your life. And now at 20, 30, 80, whatever your age is, you have a pattern that when you're confronted with something that makes you uncomfortable, on autopilot, you lie. And it's been something that's marked your life ever since you were 8 or 10 years old. Maybe, maybe you have a problem, an autopilot of overspending. And you've got debt. But, you know, Macy's had another sale this weekend. And you go in on autopilot. And on autopilot, you pick out the things on sale. And on autopilot, you hand them blue and gold. And on autopilot, your debt goes up. And every time your debt goes up, if you're going to be real honest with you, when you sit down and look at that once a month, your soul shrinks just a little bit because you know there's no freedom in that. We do other things on autopilot. We distrust. See, somewhere in your life, six years old or 30 years old or whatever, somebody very close to you may have hurt you. They may have abused you. They may have broken your heart in a business deal, in a relationship, in a church. And so what you find marking your life for the past several years is not a, not a spirit of trust, but a spirit of distrust or mistrust. You're naturally skeptical. Well, this is good, too good to be true. What's that person hiding? And your trust quotient isn't as high as God intended it to be. And what happens is, that's also a reflection of how much trust you've placed in God. Well, God let me down back then when that person hurt me. I don't know that I can trust him today. That's how we process. And so you distrust on autopilot. There are other things. Judgmental attitudes, critical spirits. Some of you in here probably worry and stress on autopilot. You got up this morning before you had your cup of coffee. You weren't thinking about coming and how much joy you were going to get out of the service. You're already thinking about this mess you got to go back to at work tomorrow. Worry, worry, worry. (laughs) 
and their stress. Some people drink too much on autopilot. Some people practice lust on autopilot. And for you to overcome those things, you're going to have to break some of those habits. Now, people who deal with addiction say, if you're going to overcome certain addictions, you have to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And so what you, what you come to understand is, if you're dealing with an addiction, or in this case, some autopilot type things that you don't consider addictions, but they're habits that are hurting your life, you don't have to try real hard to break an addiction. You have to try real hard to stay close to God. Same principle, different focus. Because if you stay close to God, you can break the addiction, you can break the pattern, you can break the habit. If you wander from God, apparently the addiction, the pattern, the habit, the behavior controls you. Same kind of thing works with a critical spirit. Same kind of thing works with someone who worries too much. You stay closer to God. It's not real hard to break that bad pattern of a critical spirit, of worry, of stress. What's hard is staying close to God. And when you stay close to God, then as Paul said a little bit ago, God then deals with that issue. Now, I love what your church does. Your church has got, what, 15 to 20 different community groups that every single one of us could be involved in. And we're going to grow together. Your church also is making special opportunities available to you. How many of you have seen this? Well, they're right outside and to the left. You go out there. Your church loves you so much. They're making opportunities. For those of you who are dealing with financial issues, Dave Ramsey, financial peace University, this is an opportunity for you to learn how to stop spending on autopilot and to bring new healthy behaviors into your financial lives. There are things on scripture and Old Testament and and on how to minister to other people. This is part of that connectedness. This is part of changing the habits and the patterns in our lives. We understand there are no perfect people in life, right? We understand that you are free to come and go in this church and in and out of my life and your life just as you are, right? Do we understand that God loves us too much to leave us that way? And God's asking us to develop new patterns, new behaviors, new autopilots. And God's not asking us to do that alone. God's calling us to do that together, right? So let me pray with you. Father, thank you for three weeks of ministering to us. Thank you for three weeks of allowing us to open your word and to examine our lives and to see what it is you're saying. God, I love the fact that Northgate gets that anybody, anywhere, any walk of life is free to walk into these doors and worship and fellowship and be a part of this community. I get, God, that they understand That part of overcoming the things in life that grip us is that we've got to become transparent. We've got to become authentic. We've got to choose to take off our mask because life is all about the choices we make. Ultimately, the choice we make about what we're going to do with your son, Jesus Christ. And God, those are nutrients that go into the soil that allow people to develop and grow into the best possible versions of themselves according to your plan that I can't chip away and shape away and grow a tomato and I can't do the same for a person I can only produce a culture an atmosphere, a soil that is healthy 
And so today, God, we've learned that we've got to be intentional about that. And some of these folks in here, God, need to come to thrive where they can be reinvigorated and refreshed and renewed. Some of these folks, God, need this week to get involved in a community group. They need to serve and share and do life with other people. And some of these folks, God, need to walk out this door and sign up for these classes. Because you're going to grow them and you're going to take them where, to what you want them to become. And being educated and informed and doing it together is a part of that process. And God, some of the folks in here, they need to get serious about giving their lives and their talents and their resources in one church. Today they're here. Maybe this is the place for them. But if it's not, the next week they go to that place, it's going to be theirs. And they connect there. And they grow there. And they make the choice to follow you there. Now, Father, I prayed last week that if we're doing this and we're serious about doing this, and some of the soil here has had fresh nutrients added over the past few weeks, that when Pastor Ken comes back, he's coming to the same people, but he's coming to a new congregation. One that is healthier. One that is bolder. One that is more humble. And God, in the same kind of way, I prayed that when Pastor Ken comes back from this time of sabbatical where his, the soil in his soul has been refreshed and fresh nutrients have been in there and it's been tilled and he's coming back refreshed and renewed. He's still Ken Jensen, but he's a new pastor. And God, that this church has thriving days ahead of it together. Individually, collectively, and corporately. Intentionally, above all else. God, we honor you. You are so gracious to have saved our souls. May we give our lives in honor of you in Christ's name. And everybody at Northgate said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.